Hello and welcome to Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary. This is your pure gold commentary podcast. And as the name suggests, this is a commentary. It's not a study guide. So grab your study guide if you're not driving or running while listening to us. My name is Morgan Vincent. And in this week's episode, we have Jacob Ellis. Jacob, you've been with us before. Thanks for being with us again. Thanks for having me. We are going to be discussing the theme of seeing the invisible. Is that even possible, Jacob? Seeing the invisible? A bit hard to understand, eh? We're going to find out. I believe it is. And we're going to see how and why. So let's now go into the discussion It may sound strange, but true, but Jacob, what we can see is often only transitory or temporary, right? It doesn't last. We can look out and we can see green leaves one day, and then a few months later, there's no leaves. We can see frost or dew on the grass or our car in the morning, but then it's gone a few hours later. Like There are many ways and examples of how things we see are only transitory, but God is invisible and eternal. And so the forces of evil, they're right out of our sight, but they're no less real, okay, even though we cannot see them per se. And it takes a degree of faith to accept that this is the divine reality. And so we're going to be looking at faith in a very big way today. Faith that carries us not just through the good times, but also the bad times. The kind of faith that's not blind, but it's actually based on sound and substantial evidence. So we're going to go straight to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, and here it speaks of how faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. How then, Jacob, can we be sure of what we cannot see? Through evidence okay. kind of thing. So in our natural world, for example, we have electricity. You don't see electricity, but it's there because it's providing light for you or anything else that requires electricity, or it's charging your phone, your mm-hmm. tablet, whatever, you can see, although you can't see the electricity per se, you know it's there. So yeah, th- th- there's the evidence that something is there. Yeah, okay. I think as well of another example like that is wind. And Jesus uses this in his conversation with Nicodemus. He likens the wind to the influence and moving of the Holy Spirit. Both are invisible, but both are real. And so I guess the thought is that transformed lives testify to the reality of the divine power actually at work in our lives. Moses, he exemplifies faith in many difficult times. We can draw inspiration from him. And when we think of Moses, he went through very difficult experiences. He was someone who, you know, even from an age where he wasn't even cognizant as a newborn baby, he was there put in the little basket and floated down the river. And, you know, what, like, You've got a baby like that's from the outset. He's having these difficult experiences, but he saw beyond the present to the eternal. Pharaoh, he was the ruler of Egypt, but he wasn't compared to the all-powerful God who was the ruler of the universe. And so we may not face tests like Moses, but the principle is the same. We can be faithful and we can trust to an unseen heavenly father. And I think this is an incredible thought, Jacob, because what are some things, I want to throw it to you now, what are some of the truths that sustain you, that sustain you, Jacob Ellis, during the times of trial? It comes down to biblical truths. Yeah. Um, okay. And why do I say biblical truths? Because I've seen that they work. I can testify that whatever the Bible says, like God says, I will strengthen you. I am with you. I am your comforter. I will be with you throughout this whole difficult stage. I can testify that he has been there. Yeah. Although I may not have seen him, I can see that he has been working for my good the whole time. 
And I guess within that is these essential truths of the love of God, the explanation of where sin came from and the solution to that, the life, death, resurrection of Jesus, his second coming, all of these things is, I'd agree with you. That for me is a, is an incredible way that I'm sustained in times of trial as well. And we think of Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, and it says there, and I love this, that we can learn incredible things from what the text says and also what it doesn't say. And notice here what it says. It says, all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good, but it says all things work together for good. And so this is difficult. You know, it can be very difficult for us to have faith and believe this text because it's like, there just seems to be so many bad things that are going on. But yet in some way, in in a way that only God could do, he does promise that all things do work together for, for good. And so Paul, he continued writing a lot about how to navigate and how to approach and understand the possibility of bad things happening to us as Christians and what can separate us from the love of God. Romans 8 answers that and it says, it's one word. Nothing. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. This is because of the fact that God in Christ becomes Emmanuel, God with us. He ever yearns for us even before our conversion. So even though we may not fully see things, we may be in, in, in a moment of pain or suffering or refining and we think, okay, I can't see what's going on here. Because God has given himself in the person of Jesus, it means that we have someone who is forever linked to humanity. It's not as though, and, and I love this again, John three sixteen. it doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he loaned his only begotten son, right? No, no, no. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. God gave his son to the world as a guarantee that he will always be with us. And even though we weren't there in the first century where we could walk and we could see Jesus, we can still have faith and look back at all the evidence and have faith because of that. All of the movings of God throughout history and have faith in that, which, yeah, which is a really incredible thing. Yeah. It's almost as if you can have a greater understanding of what is happening through your difficult time through means that you cannot see Mm. rather than something you can see. So we always think in our minds, oh, I see something, therefore I believe it. Or, yep, okay, I can see, I actually understand. But it seems based on what we're finding out is that we can have a greater understanding of the difficulties in life based on the invisible. It almost doesn't make sense. It does. But yet it does. Like when we're spiritually minded, this certainly does. I want to move now and, and talk about how God delights in our prayers and how God views our prayers. Jesus was near the end of his earthly ministry when he made the promise that there is a guarantee that when we pray according to his will, that he does hear us. In other places, he would say things like, when you ask, seek and knock, the door will be open to you. You will find. And so there's a sense of certainty to this. This would have given the disciples, no doubt, a lot of comfort. And this can give us a lot of comfort that God has given us prayer as this means of communing and talking with him. And it allows us to, to connect with the invisible, to connect with God through faith, because God's willing to do abundantly above more than we could ever ask or think. Now, Jacob, when people pray, they'll say something like, our Father in heaven or God or dear Jesus or however they pray, they'll pray their prayer. And then at the end, they'll say something like, in Jesus' name. What does it mean then to pray in the name of Jesus? Yeah, so it's praying in the spirit 
and character of Jesus. Okay, unpack that a little more for us. So it's ultimately saying it's praying in the spirit and character of Jesus. Mm. And what do I mean by that is when Jesus prayed and he said, my father, he was submitting himself to the father's will. He was submitting himself to the father's character. And so when we pray, we're submitting ourselves to God's will, a will that is far beyond, far greater than our own will. And we're longing to be more like Jesus. Yeah. It's not God coming down to us, but it's us coming up to God. It's having a deeper appreciation and understanding of who he is. With prayer, we go through trials and we pray and we can pray to an invisible God and we think, okay, he's obviously not answering. I've been praying for, I've been praying for one week now. God hasn't answered my prayer. Or I've been praying for a few hours and he hasn't answered my prayer. We can be so impatient with prayer. And we can think, well, I've been praying about this person, this situation, this thing for hours or, or even weeks, days, et cetera, et cetera. But yet the, the interesting thing is that God, he answers our prayers in different ways. And I think sometimes we need to remember that. Yeah, they can be powerful. They can be dramatic or they can be quietly and in God's time. And that's the thing. God has his timing and we have our timing. And that's why we've got to be receptive. That's why we've actually got to be open. So it's. As you said, God answers through different means. Mm. It could be that God's answering your prayer and you have no idea because we're not actually open to receiving the answer through that method. So yeah, it really prompts us, hey, we've really got to be open, heart, soul, mm -hmm. mind, to how God can speak, yeah. how God can convey his message to us. And who are we to say that God should answer our prayers in our timing and in our way. We don't know the end from the beginning. And this is the beautiful thing is that because we are praying to an invisible God who knows the end from the beginning, it means that his timing and his plans and purposes know no haste nor delay. He, his timing is perfect. And because we are bound to time, we think, yeah, but God, I've been praying about this thing for three hours. And God's look, Morgan, I'm outside of time. I'm the one who stands outside of time. I can see the end from the beginning and I know that I'm going to answer it in the best way for you. So trusting, relying, believing his promises, relying on his grace and know that he is working. John 13, Jesus told his disciples that he would be betrayed and where he was going as well, but they couldn't follow. And this was alarming news because he'd just given them this incredible promise of prayer. Now, when we come to John 14, he reassures himself and them with the words, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And so for the disciples, for us, if we believe in God, we can also believe in Jesus. In other words, like if you're believing in the unseen, then you have every reason and more to believe in the seen, in Jesus. But yet they're like, they struggled in their belief to, to, to believe in Jesus. And so for us too, it's important for us to know and always keep in mind that some would say it this way, and I'll say it this way, Jacob. Perhaps it's better to start with the end in mind. And what I mean by that is this. Obviously, the eternal life has no end. But what I mean is that if we can start from this moment forward, knowing that the end of this earth will be the second coming of Jesus, if we can start from that place now, it's really going to reframe what we're going through. And it's going to mean that even though we can't see God as I can see you and you can see me, one day we will. One day we will. I want to talk about some conditions 
for God to hear and to answer our prayers. Are there some really practical ways, Jacob, that that we can do, that we can cooperate with so that God would hear and answer our prayers? Yeah, and I think the first one is a simple one in theory, but a difficult one to do. And it's simply this, we must feel our need for God. Why is that? Because if we don't feel a need for God, why we should just, we could be doing it ourselves. So there's got to be that need of, or that desire in our hearts that saying, I can't do this by myself, or I can't do this at all. I need God. I need divine help. I need someone who's bigger than me to help me in this situation. Yeah. So we need that help from a divine source. Our hearts must be open to the spirit's influence. So we're asking God for help, but then it's not us taking the initiative. Mm. It's being open to the spirit. And we've talked a little bit about that being receptive to how the Holy Spirit is going to convey that message. It could simply be through a conversation with another person, whether they're Christian, non-Christian, that God could be using that person. Holy Spirit could be using that person to convey the answer to our prayer. So we've got to be open to the Spirit's influence. There's faith. We've simply got to have faith, trust, trusting in God. And we've talked a bit Mm. about that. It's also the importance of having a spirit of love and forgiveness in our hearts. If we're expecting God to forgive us, yet I'm unwilling to forgive someone else, how am I going to receive then the forgiveness of God if I can't extend that to someone else? It's almost like living out the character of God. You're not praying to God and then going doing exactly the opposite to what who God is. You're living out the character of God mm-hmm. in response. Yeah. Yeah. Patience. We've spoken about this as well, that knowing that God will answer when we need it the most. With this in mind, Jacob, it's important to know that this life, our three score and 10 years, this life is not all there is. Absolutely not. But yet sometimes we can be so fixated and think, wow, this 70 years on this earth is all there is, and we can live and act accordingly. And I'm not saying to not be responsible and be wise with the life we have on this earth. Certainly we need to be, but we have to keep the invisible. We have to keep the eternal in mind as, as, as well and with this, it's saying, look, we need to understand and realize that the resurrection of Jesus is where that power is. Power as well to not just, how shall I say it? Not just power of a future hope and a future reality, but also a current hope and a current reality. That the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is also the same spirit that lives in our hearts today. So it's almost as though, hold on, when is the kingdom of God coming? When is the kingdom of God going to be established? Yeah, in one sense, it will be when Jesus returns, but in a very real sense, it's now, right now. And and just sit in that for a moment. The reality of eternal life is not that we live forever, but it's a kind of quality of life, right? It's the whole thing of, am I counting the days or am I making the days count? And Jesus in John 17, 3 says, this is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And for us, Jesus expounds and teaches that the essence of eternal life is to know God. And that, yes, in, a, in, in, in the fullest sense possible, will, will happen at the second coming of Jesus and into eternity future. But the reality of that happens now. The invisible can actually become a very tangible, real experience of knowing him. Cool. Well, Jacob, let's keep thinking through some other realities that we need to add to the discussion. That is of worry. Worry is something that can get us down and and it can cause us to almost not see 
the eternal, not see the invisible, not see the future of where God is working toward. So we worry about things that have happened or some things that may happen in the future. But what do we do with worry? My mind immediately thinks of, okay, yeah, give it to Jesus. But I want us to get a little bit more practical, a little bit more, yeah, understanding what that actually means to give it to Jesus. We're told in 1 Peter 5, 7, you know, to cast our cares on him because he cares for us. And Peter really is pulling a statement from the Old Testament. And he's saying that, look, there are some things that we can cast upon Jesus. Work pressures, family concerns, health, et cetera, et cetera. Is there anything else that Jesus teaches on this, Jacob, of what we do with worry? Yeah. There's a text in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 to 30, and it says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I guess in response to your question where you're saying like, Yes, I can give it to Jesus, but I guess I could answer that same, ask a question of why are you giving it to Jesus? Mm. But what's the benefit in giving it to Jesus? Why can't you give your worry to someone else? Mm. And yes, we can give it to Jesus because he cares for us and that's great, but there's something more that Jesus can give. In that worry, there's no point in giving it to Jesus and then continuing to experience the worry. How do we actually know that we've actually given our worry to Jesus? And we find that answer in Matthew 11, where he says, I will give you rest. There's this sense of peace and restfulness in us. Mm. Yes, we still may be concerned with the situation or the circumstance unfolding, but there's this sense of peace. Mm. There's this sense of rest and not restlessness. Yeah. This is well, it, it links in in a very special way to the Sabbath. God would see fit that the Sabbath be a day of rest, but it also be a reminder of not just what has been, but also what will be. It's a day, it's a, it's a time where we, we remember God as our creator, as our sustainer, but also as our redeemer and the one who will redeem all things. He's given us this rest. So yeah, I, I really like that, Jacob, with what you're saying there. When we think about God's end time people, and I believe that we are in those times with what we see going on in the world, it's almost as though the invisible is ever so slowly becoming visible. It's almost like we can almost see it, we can almost taste it, feel it, touch it, the reality of the second coming of Jesus. With this in mind, Jacob, there's a beautiful description in Revelation 14. In Revelation 14 is pictured a lamb, a lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him, 144,000. It goes on in verse 4 to say that these are the people who have followed the lamb wherever he goes. Revelation speaks of this lamb being Jesus. Revelation is all about the revealing of Jesus. And for us, Jacob, as we bring things to a close, it's the importance and the privilege of following the lamb wherever he goes, following Jesus wherever he goes, so that then, even though we cannot see him, like I've said before, how I can see you and you can see me, the reason I believe we can follow Jesus, even though I've never seen him, is that without him, I could not see anything, right? Like with, without Jesus, I could not make sense of anything. And so with that in mind, Jacob, any closing thoughts? I just like that last comment you said, because I think I said earlier that it's somehow easier for us to understand something that's invisible mm. than to understand something that we can see, but is temporary. It's almost reversed. It's 
we're believing in something invisible to make sense of what we can see, which is something really cool. That's good. That's good. Jacob, thank you for joining us and being on our discussion today. Pleasure. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you like the conversation, tell your friends. You can subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you are listening right now. Sabbath School Quarterly Commentary is a production of the Sabbath School Department of the North New South Wales Conference. This week's episode was produced by Henrique Felix and Morgan Vincent. That's it. We'll see you next week.